The following audio is from The House in Rogers, Arkansas. More information about The House Church can be found at www.welcometothehouse.com. Go to 2 Chronicles. I know you were probably just reading that this morning. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. This is one of my, well, I have a lot of favorite scriptures. When you've been a Christian for a while, you just keep adding more and more favorite scriptures. So I have quite a few. But 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, and, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. It goes like this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move back and forth across the whole earth, searching for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, I just want you to think about that scripture for a minute because it says God's eyes go back and forth. They move to and fro throughout the earth, searching. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, God's eyes searching, 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 searching. God's searching. Searching for what? For people. God is searching for people whose hearts are committed to him. And the Bible says when God can find a man or a woman or a young person like that, here's what God will do. God will get behind that person, he'll strengthen that person, and he'll support that person. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read verses like that, I'm like, God, I'm right here. God, let your eyes settle on me. Now, I do know there have been times in my life where, you know, to think about God's eyes scanning the room, it's kind of like your mom or your dad's eyes when they were really upset with you and you did something you weren't supposed to do. Y'all know that search? And you're like, oh, no, and you're trying to hide behind something so you don't get seen. And there's been times in my life I have to honestly say that, you know, when God's eyes begin to span and begin to search, I was like, "Mm, I don't want God to see me. But God wants to bring us into a place in our walk with him where we are ready, willing, and obedient to move into whatever it is that God's called us to do. You know, I remember when Stephen began to talk to me about the Spirit of God moving on he and Katie's heart to start a church plant. And, you know, at that time, just so you guys will have a little bit of understanding, you know, this wasn't a process that Stephen and Katie thought of overnight and just said, here's what I think we're going to do. You know, I've actually put the reins on Stephen for several years, discouraging him from doing that just to make sure that he would be sure. You know, sometimes you have to do that. You know, when God, when you feel like God calls you to do something, I'm not one of those people that just jumps up real fast in emotion and goes and does it. No, I want to test it. I want to make sure it's God. I want to make sure that I'm hearing from him. And so they begin to share this vision with me. And over, over several years, God began to develop this vision in their hearts. And then ultimately, God called them to Rogers to start this plant. But you have to be willing to do whatever it is that God asks you to do. And that's why I so respect Stephen and Katie and what they were willing to do. You know, they were in a great place. They were in a great church. Stephen had a very great ministry. Katie had a great ministry. Their children were in a thriving school. Everything was going good. But, you know, the Bible says that God calls us from glory to glory. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when God calls you from glory to glory, that means that you're going to have to leave one level of glory to enter into another level of glory. And sometimes it's hard to let go of that level of glory that you're in because you're comfortable there. There's good things that are happening there. You have good friends there. There's things that are taking place there. And, 
You don't want to leave that level of glory, but when God calls you to another level of glory, you have to be willing and obedient to step out and follow that. And that's why I love 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord move back and forth across the whole earth, searching, searching, searching for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And see, when God finds a person like that, God commits to that person. You know, I think about Solomon, who God came to him, and I, I mean, this was a really cool thing, but God came to him and said, I'll give you whatever you want, Solomon, what do you want? Now, I've never had God say that to me, and, you know, I'm thinking, if God did say that to me, what would be my answer? But he came to Solomon, and he said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want, what do you want? And Solomon thought about it, and Solomon said, I want wisdom. I thought that was a pretty good answer. I want wisdom. I want your wisdom. I want to be wise to make godly decisions. And, of course, we know God made Solomon the wisest man in the whole world, literally. As a matter of fact, Solomon was so wise that kings and queens and people of importance would travel. Now, they didn't have Uber and all of that back then. So, you know, you got to mount up on the camel, get in the cart or whatever, or walk and, and travel for days on end to get to hear Solomon speak the wisdom that he spoke. Solomon knew about architecture and horticulture and agriculture and livestock and astronomy. and This guy just knew about every single thing. And people would come and they would marvel at what he would talk about. And so just imagine hundreds of people gathered around and here's Solomon sitting in his seat. And you've traveled forever to get there, and now you finally get to hear. Y'all ever gone to a conference or something, and you really wanted to hear this certain speaker, or you've gone to a worship conference that you've been trying to get to forever just to hear this particular singer, and, you know, you're very excited, and you're anticipating what's going to happen. Well, just imagine that atmosphere, and they're sitting there, and Solomon opens his mouth, and he says, before I get started today talking to you about the wisdom that I want to share with you, I have one thing that I want to tell you that's more important than anything else that I could ever possibly say. More than anything that I'm going to be able to share with you over the hours of time that we're going to spend together is this, and you need to write this down, because this is the most important thing in life. Above everything else in life, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, because from it flow all the issues of your life. More important than anything else in life, guard your heart. See, a heart of obedience is what God wants because a heart of obedience directs the course of our life. You understand, young people in the room today, those of you guys that are starting out, a lot of you guys up here on the stage, a real critical key in your life is a heart of obedience. Because when your heart is knitted with God's heart, then God can download into your life everything that he's wanting to guide you in, direct you in, and lead you in. You know, we get so caught up in all of these decisions. And, you know, I just remember, and Steve and I, because we've had all these conversations, you know, you know who are we going to marry and where are we going to live and what are we going to do and what's going to be my major and what's going to be my career and what's going to be my job and all, all of these myriad of questions that you have. And it's so easy to get caught up in pursuing all of that. But here's what I've learned. If you'll just fully commit your heart to God, God will take care of the rest. 
this scripture isn't in my notes today, but I love the scripture that says that if you'll put the kingdom of God first above all else, if you'll seek him above all else, it says what will he do? All these other things that we concern ourselves with will be added to us. God has the wisdom, the power, and the ability to connect us with the right people, to take us to the right places, to move us into the right seasons, but it takes us being connected with him on a heart level for that to happen. Can I have an amen? amen. Now, God said in the scripture, and I, and I really want to focus on this one scripture this morning, so, and we're going to put it up on the screen. It's Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and I love this verse right here because I think it so communicates the type of people that God is looking for in life. It says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Now, I want you to notice the first part of that. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. In other words, God is looking for a people who, the, you know, the, basically the foreskin of the world has been cut away from their life, and now their, their heart has been set apart and consecrated unto God. And it's like, God, my heart totally belongs to you. And whatever area of life that you may be in, whether you're in college or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a secretary, you're a carpenter, you're a plumber, you're a student, whatever you may be, your heart has been, has been so circumcised and consecrated unto God that, God, in whatever I do, I want to be led by you out of obedience to you. Now, I want to develop this here a little bit this morning because God is raising up a remnant of people. And we're seeing it more and more and more as we move into uh, the modern world that we're moving into. We're seeing this more and more and more that God is raising up a remnant of people. And I believe I'm in a room with those people. I believe the people in this room are part of that remnant that God is raising up. Now, in Isaiah, and everybody turn there with me in, in Isaiah chapter 1. And I want to kind of walk you through a scenario, because really not a lot has changed over six or 7,000 years of human history. People are people, amen? We're kind of all the same. We all put our shoes on the same way, one foot at a time. You know, the same blood that pumped through people's veins thousands of years ago pumped through our veins today. We're not really all that different. But I want to give you a little scenario here of a group of people who were, were very religious, and they belonged to God, but God had some issues with them. He, he, he had a few areas that he took note of kind of how they were living their life. So, so I just want to start here with, um, let's start with verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the instructions of your God. You people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now, when you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Now, understand, before I go on, God had required this of them. God 
in the Old Testament said, here is what I want you to do. Because the, the, the way to God is through sacrifice, right? And a walk with God is through offering. And so that's what these people were doing. They approached God through the blood of an animal, through sacrifice. They were maintaining their walk with God through offering. That's what they were doing. But God says, when you come to me, verse 12, and you appear, appear before me, who requires you of this to trample of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I can't endure iniquity and a solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feast. You become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered in blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of the deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. And plead for the widow. Now, here, we have a group of people here. And I want to kind of bring it more into modern day times. So here we have a group of people, modern day times. We're going through all the religious activities. We're coming to church. We're going to the conferences. We're raising our hands. We come down to the altar. We put our tithe and our offering in the bucket. We're going through the religious motion of coming to church. We're all here. We're all, we're all doing this. Yet, even though they were doing all of these outwardly appearing religious activities, here's what God's saying. I don't have your heart. Now, we got the first part here this morning. We all got here. Lots of us raised our hands. We brought our offering. We brought our tithe. We put it in the plate. We're going through the motion. But, but here's what God's saying. God's saying, I want your heart. See, God is looking for a people whose heart belongs to him. You know, I came from a broken home. I, I, I grew up in a broken home. My father was an alcoholic. My parents divorced when I was in my later teen years. And I fell off into drugs and alcohol and, and didn't give my life to Christ until I was 23 years old. And the thing that the Lord really communicated to me when I gave my heart to him was that he said, Paul, this is what I want. I don't want anything else but this. All of that other stuff, those are just benefits of a relationship with me. But the thing that I want more than anything else is I want your heart. God wanted my heart. God didn't want my service. God didn't want all of my religious activities. All those are all good things. Obviously, being here sitting under the word, fellowshipping with one another, worshiping, praising, all of those things are good things. But God says, I want your heart. As a matter of fact, verse 19 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will live. Now, I want you to notice that. Not that you are obedient, but that you are willing and obedient. There's a difference. You know, I had a young woman a few years back, and she was um, in 10th grade. We have a Christian school at our church, and she was in 10th grade, and, and she was having a conversation with me, um, and she was really frustrated with her father 
um, because she had got asked by a guy from another school system who was a senior to go to their prom. And he was a real popular football guy. And I mean, it's a big deal for her. I mean, you know, it was like major. She was like, oh my gosh, this guy asked me. You know, she's a 10th grader, he's a 12th grader. And so she goes to her dad and she says, Dad, I got asked to go to um, a prom with this guy from another school, but Daddy's awesome. He's a football jockey. He's in 12th grade. He's amazing. You know, and you know, she's just trying to lay it all out there for him, like, Dad, this is a great deal. I mean, nobody would pass on this deal. <laughs> And, you know, and so her dad's like, well, let me think about it. You know, and I'll, the classic answer that we've all kind of been taught to give our kids, if they pressure you, like, well, I got I to gotta know right now. And I would always tell my sons, you know, well, if you have to know right now, the answer is no. Now, if you'll let me think on it and talk to your mother about it, it could possibly be yes. But if it's got to happen right now, the answer is no, you can't. Okay, so I'll wait. So she waited, he prayed, he communicated with his wife, and they both really felt like that the Lord told them, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's going to be, your daughter's going to be putting herself in a place of jeopardy, and this is not what needs to happen. So she, he has a meeting with his daughter and very lovingly says, honey, I want you to know I love you. I'm your dad. I'm for you. I wouldn't do anything to harm you. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, dad, I believe that. Has your dad ever led you astray or, or led you in the wrong way? No, I can't think of any time that you have. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. You can't go. <sighs> you know, and it was a, a huge disappointment and a huge letdown, and she was very frustrated, and, but she accepted what he said, although she wasn't in agreement necessarily with what he said. So she goes back to the football jock, the 12th grader, because we're having this conversation. I said, well, what did you tell him? And she said, and here's her exact words. She said, well, my dad won't let me go. And I just kind of sat there and looked at her. And I said, so that's what you said? She says, that's what I said. I said, that's not what you said. She, she said, how do you know what I said? You weren't there. You don't know what I said. I said, that may have been the words that came out of your mouth, but that's not what you said. Here's what you said. My dad won't let me go, but if I could go, I would go. But I'm being restricted by my father who won't let me go. But if I could go, I would. You know, and I believe for a lot of believers, we can be a lot like that girl. No, I can't go watch that. I can't listen to that. I can't entertain myself with that. I can't hang out with those people. Why? Well, because my church, you know, they don't smile upon that or, or, you know, I don't really feel like the Lord would want me to do that. But it's like the father with the young girl who said, no, I don't want you to go. But see, understand that the father, he knows things that the young lady doesn't know. He has life experience that she doesn't have. He sees things that she can't see. He has wisdom and understanding beyond her years. And ultimately, what he's trying to do is keep her living free and protect her and watch over her. And so many times, church, when God is instructing us, young people, when God is instructing you, when your parents talk to you, 
and you feel like you know what they're putting on you is restrictive and it's legalistic and you you never let me do that well you just have to understand that you know you're not the only one in that position that your parents are in that position too because we all have this authority in our life that guides and directs our life but what god is wanting to do is god is wanting to bring us to a place where we're willing and obedient not just obedient but we're willing and obedient because we understand that through a willing obedient heart there's benefits there's there are huge benefits I'm gonna give you a handful of them this morning number one number one benefits of obedience number one strength to fight spiritual battles and possess God's promises when you walk in obedience willing obedience it positions you for victory each of us have battles that we face. Stephen was talking this morning just about the storm, you know, as he talked about Jesus. Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat. Y'all realize that? Knowing that the storm was going to come upon the boat, Jesus told them to get in the boat. It's important we understand the right theology because you, 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 you can always know from your point of departure to your point of arrival, there's always going to be a storm. There will always be one. And so we all have these dreams and we have these visions and, and we have battles that we fight and we have things in our life that we want to come, come to pass. All of us here in this room, we have dreams and visions. There's visions for this house right here. There's visions in your own personal life for your family or for you as an individual. Uh, relationship goals and career goals and dream goals and, and maybe uh, starting a business or building a home or whatever it may be. We all have these dreams. And as we walk in obedience, God empowers us to see those things come to pass and to fight the spiritual battles that we all are going to have to encounter because all of us are going to encounter them. God never said that you weren't going to go through a fiery furnace. God never said that you weren't going to go through a lion's den. They're going to happen. Now, the fire won't overwhelm you. The lions won't eat you. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to face them and you're not going to walk through them. But see, what's going to position you for victory is that heart life. That heart life. See, Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart because from it flow the issues of your life number two number two obedience brings longevity to god's provisions and blessings now i want to explain this many people they start out with an attitude of willing obedience you know you first get saved you're all excited how many y'all remember when you first gave your heart to christ and you know it's a very exciting time it's a passionate time in your life you're really pursuing the lord i mean you have reckless abandon god i'll i'll do whatever you want me to do i'll go anywhere you want me to go and you're just so open to following christ and doing what he wants you to do and i've seen many many people come through the doors of our church and i've seen many many people leave through the doors of our church just being in ministry the number of years that I have and talking to the number of people that I've talked to, I've seen a lot of people start out with Jesus. And they have an attitude of willing obedience to follow the Lord. But somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, they fall into compromise. Little bitty small compromises in their personal life and in their spiritual life. Little, little small tiny cracks in the foundation that the Lord's laid in their life. And they're, 
and we have to know that walking in obedience ensures the potential for God to bless us. As I position myself, for example, so we've had a little rainy weather here the last couple of days, correct? So if I want to stay dry, I'm going to have to stay under my what? My umbrella, right? As long as I'm under my umbrella, I'm going to stay dry. Now, if I step out from underneath my umbrella, I'm going to get wet. I'm going to be exposed to the elements, to the storms, to, to all that's going on around me. But if I position myself under my umbrella, I'm going to stay dry. I'm going to stay protected. I don't have to worry about that. See that positioning? It's all about positioning. It's all about you. If you position yourself out here, young people, and you start hanging around the wrong crowd, you start entertaining yourself with the wrong things, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's just about positioning. You've just positioned yourself in a bad position. Okay, we want God to bless us. We want God to do good things in our life. We want to make great grades. We want to have a great marriage. We want to have a great business. We want to be, you know, have the blessings of, of our work and things that come that way. Look here. Positioning. See, as we position ourselves, walking in obedience ensures a potential for God to bless us. Walking in disobedience removes us from that position. You know, I watch husbands, man, when they first get married, and I, you know, I had my wife and I, when we got married, and we're, we're coming up on our 25th anniversary in July. Yeah. 25 years. So we had, I think it was six or seven other couples that started out with us when we got married, and we were all passionate for Jesus. We all wanted to be serving him and living our lives for him and honoring him with our lives. And we all had this commitment to our mates that we were going to stay married and love the Lord and do what God called us to do together. But now as I look back and I begin to kind of count the different ones, you know, there were six or seven that married close to the same time that we did and, and none of them are married now. Now, none of them intentionally started out that way. Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what, I want to mess up my marriage, or I want to mess up my business, or I want to mess up. But see, it takes that continual obedience, that consistency of waking up every day and making right choices. And here's what I've discovered, church. It's not the train wrecks in life that mess you up. I mean, when we have some major calamity come upon our lives and and most of us are going to, at some point in time in our lifetime, we're going to experience something, a death in the family or, or a major layoff or some illness or something. We all face these things. What, here's what I've noticed. It's not those major things in life that knock us off track. You want to know what gets us off track? It's just the mundaneness of getting up every single day and doing the same old thing day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, and living right and living obedient unto the Lord. That's what gets people. Husbands start out, man, they're on fire for their marriage. They want to be a great husband. They want to do. But in one act of, of disobedience, one act, they bring calamity upon their family, upon their marriage, upon their children. Young people, you want to experience the favor of your parents? You want to walk in the favor of your parents? I'll never forget this. I remember my parents saying to me, and some of y'all might remember this. You know, you've been doing really, really good, and then you make that one mess up, and your parents say, well, we just can't trust you. 
Oh, I would rather be beat than have my parents tell me that. I mean, just give me the whooping. I mean, I'll take it right now. Let's just move on. Can we just move on? But you get the speech, you know, you're just going to have to earn back our trust. And, you know, that is so frustrating because it takes you so long to build up trust. But, I mean, you can lose it just like that. But that is the way life works. And that is why that we have to walk in a willing obedience every single day. Now, here's, here's my point to that willing obedience. <clears throat> the people of Israel were doing what they were doing because they were required to. Most of them. And they were doing what they were doing out of the law. And out of a fear of consequences. What God says in the last days, I'm going to raise up a people who their hearts have been circumcised. And they're not doing it because they fear punishment or because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. Because they, because they love me. And because they see the, 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 the benefits of following after me in that way. See, through obedience, God can bless you. God can bless your home. He can bless your family. It opens up a window of opportunity, and it also helps the blessings of God to be sustained in your life. How many of y'all want God's blessings to be sustained day in and day out, carried over? Sure, that's what we want, and that's what God's wanting to do is sustain his blessings in our life as we walk in obedience. Number three, obedience makes it possible for God to do what we can't possibly do. Obedience makes it possible for God to do what we can't possibly do. The things that you have hidden in your heart, dreams and desires that you want to have fulfilled, maybe things that you've not even told anybody because, you know, you're not even sure if that's what the Lord's saying to you, but you have these big things, these big things that you want to have come about. Those things that are really beyond your ability. I have dreams in my heart. They're really beyond my ability. I've had a lot of dreams in my lifetime that were beyond my ability, but I've watched God fulfill those dreams that were beyond my ability. You know, like, for example, you can't make it rain. That's beyond your ability. But God can. God can make it rain. You can't afford that business. But God can. God can make that happen for you. You can't heal that wound. That hurt. That disappointment. But God can. God can come in and do that in your life. See, don't ever lose your heart in trusting God and doing what is right out of a heart that's willing to do what's right. I love Isaiah 43, verse 16 through 19. It says, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path through mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You shall, not, you shall not know it. I will even, look at this, I will even make a road in the wilderness and a river in the deserts. So what I'm telling you today, it's real easy to fall into a place where I don't see any possible way that God could do that. God, how could, you, how could that ever come to pass? God says, I can make a way where there seems to be no way. I can do things that you can't possibly do. Because here's the thing, church. God has cattle on a thousand hills. He has resources 
that we can't even tap into. But through trust and through faith and through obedience, we can open the door for God to meet our needs. Thanks for listening. To see what's happening at the house, follow us on social media at the house underscore NWA.